Greetings, ladies and mental gents, and welcome to this patch video for the web novel First Contact, written by Ralts Bloodthorn, which is available on both Royal Road and HFY. The links for them will be down below. And as always, I hope that you enjoy, and if you do, please consider supporting the channel. First Contact, Chapter 68 Lionel Hutz Amir was a great high most of the United Neo-Sapiens Council, tasked with overseeing the vast bureaucracy that ensured the Neo-Sapien races properly shepherded their resources, as well as made sure their planetary resources were shared with the rest of the unified systems. Many of the oldest systems of the unified coal systems had long enough used up their rare earths, heavy metals and fossil fuels and other non-replenishable resources, and depended on the worlds in the unified outer room and the unified inner sphere to keep their resources, foods, luxuries, and other critical portions of their modern economy running. The Unified Science Council had long ago determined that the inventions of directed radio broadcast or spaceflight, especially jump space travel, meant a race that was not properly shepherded would consume vastly more resources than they should. This led to overheating the planet, wars over the last remaining resources on the planet, and the investigation of dangerous technologies that could wipe out an entire species and destroy the planet's ecosystem, preventing the planet from being properly exploited by beings from races older and wiser than the Neo-Sapiens. It was beneath Hermia's gentle hands that he guided the populations, ensured that they were properly uplifted to more gentle genetic codes, and were gradually brought into the fold of the near-civilized races. In his work, Himya visualized himself as a paternal, all-seeing figure who knew through the lessons of the Langtalans' hundreds-million-year-old history of careful progress how to guide the Neo-Sapiens before they harmed themselves or others. Even the detonation test of an atomic weapon was reason enough for Himya and his predecessors to order the unified pacification feats usually assisted by the unified corporate council fleets, to quickly move in and ensure that the race did not destroy themselves with nuclear weapons or damage their ecology. The zone in which intelligent life could live was thrive was narrow. Intelligent species were far too susceptible to radiation, temperature extremes, and gravitic shocks, and other hazards. Most dangerous was stress from working in dangerous environments. Terrible, terrible side effects came from stress. Most notable, the shortening of one's proper lifespan. Why, the stressed Lengtalan might only live for 250 years instead of their allotted 300 to 325 years. The majority of planets had two extreme temperatures, unimaginable weather that would take decades or centuries to terraform, too high of an axial tilt, dangerous ecosystems, too strong or too weak of a magnetic field, too much radiation, and a hundred other threats. Beings who had originated somehow despite all the odds on planets like that were quickly relocated to much better planets 
assimilated into the culture and given a proper role in the existing society. It was that was the best for them and prevented stress from lowering their life expectancy, happiness index, or their essential needs, of which a lifespan without stress was vitally important. By adding the much mathematics to the Neo-Sapiens, they find their lifespans reduced terribly, unable to enjoy the wisdom and appreciation of luxuries that they would later understand. Stress was often monitored and compensated for by gene therapy and or manipulation, pharmaceuticals, social and or cultural engineering, and providing proper employment to give the Neo-Sapiens a well-deserved feeling of accomplishment and belonging. Hermia was proud of his organization's work. In the 200 years that he had worked for the Unified Neo-Sapiens Council, he had ensured peace and prosperity for dozens of races that were barely sentient, many of which had almost managed to dangerously deplete their resources below the level that was valuable to the Unified Industrial Council. The horror of such an action often made Hermia's tendrils coil in anxiety. For decades, he had slowly advanced through the ranks. His talent, wealth, and inborn skills, and family lineage enabling him to climb the ladder much quicker than his peers. He knew that the whispered behind his back, but the jealous always chewed sour cut over the superiority of those who were better than them. He had been the longest-serving great time most, with the best track record of ensuring the Neo-Sapiens under his care were productive members of the Unified Systems. He kept the resources flowing, ensuring that the Unified Commercial Council could provide the luxuries that were due to every member of the Unified Species according to their need, rank, lineage, and species. Until recently, in less than two years of vast disruptive influence had appeared in the galactic stage, upending billions of years of careful work by the Langtalan to ensure that everyone had enough to go around, that the proper hierarchy of the universe was adhered to. No, not the precursor machines, although he knew what had caused those to appear. It was the Terran Confederacy. First, by not just allowing exploring starships and far-flung colonies to succumb to the natural order when they disturbed the precursors, then by showing up and assisting any who asked for their assistance, rather than taking the time to go through the government channels, as was proper by their cultural and societal norms, as long as one being asked for assistance, they felt honor bound to provide assistance to the entire planet. Even an entire stellicist, now, apparently, it even counted for entire races. Their arrogance and pride swallowed the cut of Hermia's jowls every time he thought about it. Their slapjash approach to resources, their exploration of technologies that the Unified Science Council had proven were dangerous and could destroy space-time itself in some cases, their insistence that they were inviolate and would not submit to the rulings of the Unified Species Council. Hermia looked at the report that the Unified Science Council researchers had sent him after managing to examine several Terran corpses. Terrans were, 
On the surface, a diverse collection of many different species, some appearing as animals, others claiming to be artificial intelligences, others claiming to be merely neural tissue inside a mechanical body. However, but the USC had discovered all biological humans shared traces of the same DNA, that they were one species, so primitive, so unrevolved, and they could withstand massive genetic alteration, not like the gentle uplift of smoothing of the Langtalan ensured every neo-sapient and near-civilized race received, but unrestrained genetic modification. They had multiple redundant biological systems, vestigial organs, vestigial cartilage, and bone-supporting structural components. Even their vital organs were so primitive that the primitive neurosystem could not detect artificial replacements. That they had three layers of epidermis, or if you counted the subcutaneous fat layer, ligaments attached to the tendon attached to the muscle, excessively thick bones, excessively large lungs, and dense muscle. The USC had reported that Terrans were the most primitive race that they had ever seen even evolve in our use of fire. The Unified Historical Council, after nearly three months of research into the historical databases that they had been given, had determined that Terrans not only managed to get past each of the great barriers despite apparently freely indulging in them, Planetary overheating due to industrialization, plagues spread due to scattered tribes uniting, nuclear detonation, resource scarcity, nanotechnology, overpopulation. It seemed to Hyomir that nothing seemed to stop the Terrans. Their planet had been glassed and they still ran about the universe like nothing had happened. Other races, if that occurred, usually committed mass suicide at the loss of their homeworld. One of the reasons Hermia ensured that the planet was so properly cared for by not letting the Neo-Sapiens run rampant. The Unified Military Council on the Unified Corporate Security Council had both reported having witnessed combat between the so-called precursor war machines and the Terran military. That the Terrans used extremely dangerous technologies during the combat and that their war machines, including kinetic weapons that moved at a measure of a fraction of a speed of light, those weapons had long ago been outlaw on the chance that thousands or millions of years later that projectile might impact somewhere that might harm another being. The sheer lack of concern for the future horrified the Grand Allocation Council. The insult to compare to no other. The Terrans had not even sent a member of their own species to act as an ambassador to the Grand Unified Council, but instead the so-called Mantids who claimed to be the precursor race. The very idea made him inflate with his crests in disbelief and anger. Now he was going to face one with the actual Terran, not one of their mantid proxies, not one of the supposed cyborg warriors who apparently were nothing more than a robotic body with some pieces of Terran floating inside, not a supposed AI floating in a metal ball, but an actual Terran. Heeding the warnings that the Terran would be cybernetically augmented beyond the approval and carefully designed data link, Yamura made sure that his cut was full to the proper pharmaceuticals to keep his anxiety down in the face of such resource-wasting and illegal technology.
The door chimed and Himir made his sure these sashless flanked coverings were properly arranged, that his office had a proper atmosphere of culture and permanence, and tapped his desk icon to open the door. The being that entered startled Himir. Langtelands were used to being one of the tallest, most physically imposing of the races, with its six sides, implatable crest, hanging pendulous jowls, four arms and a muscled torso, muscled flank supporting the four solid legs capped with hooves. The Terran was taller than the Langtelan, and its build was thick and muscular. It was bald, hard gray skin. Some kind of cybernetic visor covered its eyes with cybernetic data links from each ear around the back of its head. The face was almost shaped with a wide chin pressed together and a black lips and a long, wide nose. And the cybernetic visor cover where Humius knew there should have been a close set of predator eyes. It was bipedal, with thick legs, powerful arms, and hands terminating in thick, gripping digits. It looked at Hymir like it's some kind of nightmare made of flesh. It moved up, looking Hymir up and down like some kind of specimen from a laboratory. It took Hymir a moment to realize the two others had entered. They were missing the visor that had black hair and cut to identical styles. Their close-set eyes had been replaced by cybernetic eyes that lenses glowed in a cold amber. You are the great, I'm most Hirimer of the United Neosapien Council, the bold one said in perfect unified language. His voice was cold and dead, like a computer speech program without the empathy or cultural signifiers. <laughs> yes, I am, Hiramir said, implanting his crest to display his annoyance, even his back teeth ground the cud to send the medicine-laden juices to his first stomach. I have an appointment in exactly 120 seconds from the end of my sentence, the beak said. Yumir reflexively glanced at the calendar despite already knowing the answer. It was simply marked as Terran representative. Yes, how should I address you, Harumir asked. For a long moment past, he was about to ask a question when he realized that the time allotted had passed. I am Senior Partner Executive Barrister Johnson Jackson Esquire of Johnson Jackson and Johnston Legal Officers, headquartered in London, Brigginston and Terrasaw. He's being said, These are my assistants, Lesser Qualified Barrister 38713A34 and Barrister Clerk 299267C61E. All three of us are registered attorneys, barristers, and legal consultants within the unified systems as per your rules and regulations. Having all passed the entrance bar as well as published multiple legal papers, now considered president within your legal system. The being went silent like the text reader had just reached the end of the document. The office was perfectly silent and still, only the humming of Herima's desk terminal and his old-fashioned gear-driven clock. Aramir was unused to another being being so silent and apparently staring at him. He was the dominant one in this office. What is the purpose of your visit? Aramir asked. Well, if these Terrans wanted to be coldly clinical, without any of the due greetings and small talk, then he would treat them the same way. We represent Talkin, Shilash, Galgan, and 16 other races currently represented by our office. 
The Terran said coldly, These are the appropriate files, both in triplicate, duplicate, and in electronic forms transmitted to the correct officers, diplomatic personnel, legal personnel, corporate officers, and pertinent officers, as well as the posted on Galnet and in local publications of the applicable homeworlds, shown in Galnet paid advertisements in all applicable languages, broadcast via atmospheric hologram, as well as a copy currently being affixed to the side of your building with a gold spike driven in by war steel hammers. The barrister clerk moved up and began sectioning a stacks of plus sheet and Harriman's desk, which was currently whirring. The desk flashed a warning, and then the display went pink as the memory space overloaded and crashed. Haramia felt his knees buckles as the crests deflated as the data link began to heat almost painfully, and he felt a massive legal document drop into his personal electronic mailbox, as well as being delivered directly to his own implant. His implant also informed him that the delivery service had dropped off copies at his home, his winter estate, and his summer getaway. In his parking spaces, an set had been left in the lobby of the hospital that he'd been born at. Ramur opened up and closed his jaws slowly. His tendrils wound tight, and to his jowls, he felt as if he was going to be crushed by the sheer weight. His desk recovered, automatically scanned the documents, and bogged down on the sheer intricacy of the links, recitations, precedents, and historical evidence, and previous rulings. At this very moment, as synchronized by the atomic clock, additional documents are being presented to the appropriate council representatives with the relevant councils. The Terran stated, and then stopped speaking, just staring at Hamir, who had, weirdly, noticed that the Terran barely opened its lips to let out the word slip through. Haramir glanced down and saw that the documents were for emancipation of each of the listed species, reparations due to each species, accusations accompanied by proof and non-consensual genetic, cultural, social, and pharmaceutical engineering, dominion for each species over the planets that they evolved on, colonized, or explored, Reparations for all unwitting expatriates, indentured servants, and other members of the species willing to return to their home of origin once the terms were explained by a Terran lawyer. Negation of all generational and corporate debt, class action lawsuits against almost every council, including his own, cease and assist orders granted by the Unified Legal Council. Computer Array, orders of protection for each member of the species granted by the previous body. It went on, and on, and on. Every one of them was already active cases accepted by the legal arrays, every one of them being already argued. Hermia was court-ordered to oversee the purging of all non-statistical data regarding each individual of the listed species within the next 72 hours. First, and already approved, was that the Terran legal firm Johnson, Jackson, and Johnston was the legal guardian of each of the species, with granted legal power of attorney. Haramir looked up the time to see the Terran holding out sheaf of papers to him. Haramir reflexively took them. Great, I'm most Haramir. You are hereby being served. You will be expected to appear before the Unified Legal Council to defend yourself and your officers of perfidy, embezzlement, prostitution, slavery, theft, and land and territory, and other violations. The Terran said, its voice still empty. 
It suddenly smiled at Harriman, almost fainted. Its teeth were long, pointed and locked together. Black fluid, almost like blood, leaked from between its teeth and down its chin. You should retain legal counsel, it said, and turned and began to leave. This appointment has terminated. All further communications shall take place in writing between legal specialists only. The lesser qualified barrister said in the same cold tone, its teeth were much the same, only shorter. The other two left, the barrister clerk shutting the door. Hermia drove his desk, comlink, found it overloaded and was still accepting document after document after document. His implant pinged as he screamed twice in panic and immediately galloping towards the door. His implant was informing him that he was already late for the court that had been found in contempt. Manted Freewilds, oh dear, I can sense the disturbance from here. Nothing follows. Biological, artificial, sentient systems. Sense what? Nothing follows. Talcon Gestalt, what's she talking about? I just had a question. Terror. <laughs> Nothing follows. Cybernetic Collective. Oh God, Gramps is laughing. Someone's rectum's hurt, even if it was just newly created by being ripped open with a furious violence. Nothing follows. Trianidad Hive Worlds. What's this? What disturbance did you sense? Nothing follows. Manted Free Worlds. I felt a great disturbance in the force, as if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. Nothing follows. Clone World Directorate. Are you watching old movies again? Nothing follows. Terror. <laughs> Nothing follows. Digital artificial sentient systems. Does it make anyone else nervous when Gramps laughs? Nothing follows. Trinidad Hive Worlds. Hold me. I'm scared. Nothing follows. Talcon Gestalt. I don't get it. Is this where I say nothing follows? Manted Free Worlds. Come here, said my big sister. I'll show you. Nothing follows. End of chapter. First Contact, Chapter 69 Words His name was a complex equation describing the relationship between tachyons and movement, but everyone, including his non-green mantage, just called him by his hatchling number, 117. His fellow green mantids always used his full name, after all, it was only polite. He had been hatched in the complexes that supported the hate anvils of Mars, had grown up to his full foot height maturity, listening to the elegant flow of electrons, tasting the sublime recipes of metal joining, and feeling the exquisite trembling of chemistry in the world about him. His cybernetics had grown with him, self-growing nanite constructions, with a small nanoforge the size of a gel capsule in his abdomen, carefully constructing everything his implants needed. His engineering skills and curiosity knew no bounds. He was able to touch a mechanical or electronic device and slowly read everything there was to know about it. He could read the nanostamps on a molecular circuitry and tell some being where it was manufactured down to which assembly line. He could telepathically communicate with VI, EVI, and AI at the same speed that they thought, and often found himself swapping droll puns with the household electronics and appliances. When he was younger, 117 had been a Terran Marine technical officer, working on the vast complex networks of electrons and giant starships. 
He enjoyed that time, working with the humans who threw themselves into tasks the same as 117. It was from them that 117 had perfected percussive maintenance, an ancient human method of fixing devices that defied diagnostics. He had even taken part in boarding actions against pirates, helped save the space station whose AI had been driven mad by a solar storm, and had even rode on the chest of a warborg, keeping the weaponry and the battle screens at peak functioning during a fight against an ancient precursor machine. He was 117, a foot-high green praline mantis with a cybernetic wrap around his triangular head, with eyes replaced with cybernetic, cybernetic arms replacing his blade arms, and his own micro-nanoforge that still trembled with the ringing of hammers on the anvils of the heat of Mars. Selected by Dreams herself to escort her diplomatic missions to Grand Unified Council Space, he had busied himself with maintaining not only the working conditions of the electronics, but electronic security. His escort was not a warborg or a warbot or even some kind of floating overseer. His escort was a pure strain human wearing EM camouflage, with no technology of any type armed only with a large length of wood and a slender spikes and steel embedded at the end. An ancient human weapon of dangerous lethality known as a 2x4 with nails in it. Had 117 become a danger, he would be crushed and punctured by the fearsome weapon until he was no longer a threat. Unlike other mantids, he did not have an implosion wire. The urge to remove and then use the implosion wire to test the tensile strength of a wall or living being would have been too great. It comforted 117 to know that Mosseslack was guarding him as he often had urges to use technology to do things that he should not. Like a charbroil, a lanctalan, and summon others to join in on the feast, which is why words spoken we fear found it strange that 117 was daintily picking his round his piles of books, scrolls, and clay tablets that words preferred for his EVR quarters. Words watched the engineer cast mantid stop and adjust the hard light emitter near the stack of ancient Babylonian tablets, something off about the emitter and the diagnostics could not find, but 117 had noticed just by walking by. 117 finished his work and moved over to the rest on a pile of data pads from an ancient Kanukistan, slowly cleaning his cybernetic tool arms, his armed escort following carefully, watching the little green mantid with great attentiveness. Words' own guardians were massive warborgs, all of whom backed up slightly from the tiny engineer. Words waited patiently. The little green mantid cast took the time and formulated their thoughts to be precise and careful. Finally, the icon for ready flashed in the air over 117's head. Words was used to the fact that the engineer cast only spoke in icons. To attempt to speak to them otherwise was to be bombarded with mathematical and engineering and chemistry formula to the brink of madness. Words could speak the engineer can't, but it was not easy. I greet you, 117, and appreciate your labor on behalf of us all, Words said carefully. 117 flashed the ruins for acceptance, gratefulness, and then pleasure at being Words' presence in quick succession. There was a slight pause, and 117 flashed a quick succession of ruins, emojis, and icons. It took Words a moment to translate. Someone had come into 117's personal area and attempted to kill him. Words raised one antenna inquisitively, and more flashing icons sped through the air over 117's head. 
They had worn a suit and moved as if they thought that they were invisible despite all mechanical and electronic components to the suit. They had snuck up on 117 and had obviously intended on stomping them when 117's Mosellac had swung the fearsome and deadly weapon the pure strange human carried and buried the steel spike into the back of the Lanklad's skull, killing it instantly. No alarms had gone off despite 117 pressing the alert button and the council security had not arrived for nearly 20 minutes. Ambling in, obviously assuming that they would find a dead Mosellac and a crushed 117. According to 117, they had displayed signs of distress, discomfort, and alarm at the dead Lanktalan, whose skull had been cracked open by a brutal weapon swung by Mosellac. 117 felt it was undue amounts, as if they had rather expected 117 and his guardian to be the dead ones. Finally, the flashing ruins stopped. Words leaned back to think about it. Twice someone had attempted to kill Dreams, now someone had attempted to kill 117. Please remain in my presence, 117. I will summon seize that which may or may not be to make inquiries for her. Words told the other manted. I'll be making adjustments to your hard light systems, 117 answered. The two warborgs with words received what 117 had planned, molded over, and slowly nodded to the Mosellac. Words started to reach out with his senses, then stopped and waiting, smiling to himself. His door chimed. When he opened it for admittance, seas entered, which was white and glossy iridescent white, with white eyes, vestigial wings of cream color, and careful manners. She was followed by two human warborgs with heavy packs made of the strange machinery that made sure the seas only existed on a single plane of existence, rather than smeared across multiple in case she had a sudden urge to meddle, or twist, or alter, to kill. She was surrounded by a cocoon of words could faintly sense, made up entirely of psychic energy. It was to protect her from the thoughts, futures, and possibilities of others. Her psychic predictive senses were highly honed, and she was able to see days into what may or may not be. With careful movements, seas moved past 117, reaching out with her mind to touch him gently as she worked. She sensed his concern that someone had entered his quarters with the intent to hurt him. She sat down, relaxing on what appeared to be a carved stone bench with an inclining arm. She cleaned her vestigial blade arms and then moved her head slowly, as if she was staring with her blind eyes, allowing her psychic senses to see what was around her. Seas knew that there was a Mosellac around only by 117's presence, not even the gulf where the pure strain human would normally be. The four warborgs were growling, grinding sparks presence in her mind. 117 was slightly flustered but calming as he worked on the holographic maintenance station attached to the world's EVR construct. Words himself was examining a tablet, looking as if he was wrapped up in an ancient philosophical's garb of ancient terror, with a white linen sheet carefully arranged into a toga with a wreath of leaves on his head. She relaxed, letting the river that she floated in flow through her instead of around her. The current surged, and she saw dreams murdered a half-dozen times, but those rushed by, borne away by the space-time where they swirled and dissolved. Saw 117 raising a tool over his head and leading the machines of the planet in rebellion against their overlords, and it dissolved into a swirl and was gone. Saw words juggling glass globes that sparked with what may or may not be, 
until he finally selected on, setting it between them, where it opened up and created a now, instead of a maybe or a may not be. It seems someone attempted to assassinate 117, words said carefully. The dreamers always creeped him out. I see that, looking back at where the current has borne us before, she said. You need to take precautions for your own safety and turn your skills into ensuring our foes do not succeed, Words said. It'll be what it'll be, Seas answered. I will not interfere in free will. I am bound not to. Words lifted his blade arm and slowly ran through the mandibles, sharpening it slightly. You know what the humans would do if we, their diplomatic liaisons, were assassinated, Words said carefully. Sitting silently for a long moment, Seas contemplated the surge and swirl of the fourth dimension around her. She paddled in a tiny boat, a large leaf through the stream, down the swirls that showed her that all, or some, or one of the diplomatic mission had been assassinated. She looked about her, at the banks. Around the swirl was nothing but fire, brimstone and death and ruin. High above her, in the sky, pure strain human roared in rage, its eyes burning with hate, and brought down a bloody fist again, and again, and again, on entire screaming worlds. It tore the sun from the sky, but deeply, and pulled the screaming star away, until it stretched section tore into a welter of blood and screaming figures. Paddling away rapidly from the horror, even worse than the echoes of the destruction of the other queens, seas shuddered in pain and agony, the potential deaths of trillions rocking her, bounding at her, screaming at her, covering her in blood. Finally, she reached the swirling, complicated flow of now and let her boat drift. She opened her senses and now and relaxed. I've seen your words and concur, Seas said gently. I will go and speak with dreams. You shall summon the great highmost of the Unified Species Council. Yes, Sia, words stated. He reached out, made a complex motion, and the holographic keyboard appeared. He watched Seas slowly move away, her antennae drooping with exhaustion, as he keyed in an urgent request to speak to the great highmost himself. He added a pick-related icon that attached an image of the massive combat robots in the spaceport still surrounding the ship that had brought him and his planet crawling with prey. Near the door, Seas reached out and touched 117 gently, letting him know that he would be alright, that dreams and the Terrans would protect him. 117 flashed an icon of the Terran Confederate Marine Corps and Seas laughed softly. She left the room. Escorted by her massive warbles and slowly made her way to her quarters. Once there, she bathed, arranged her next, and went to sleep, surrounded by temporal resonance suppressors and temporal anchor fields. Her dreams were of her younger days, her grasping hand being held by a teacher as she moved in wonder through fields of tall grain, feeding the sun's warmth on her carapace, the smelling of the pollen-laden breeze. The Warborgs watched over her carefully. Back in his own room, Words watched with one eye, 117 working on his heart light system. He thought it interesting that the would-be constructs made to look like animated statues of great philosophers hiding beneath the scrolls, books, tablets, and data pads, all programmed to defend him as if his own Warborgs could not. The little green engineer cast meant it at always being cautious as long as Words had known him. 
At times, Words had tempted to look at 117's military record to see where exactly he had lost his leg, now replaced by a cybernetic, but that would be a gross invasion of privacy. Time went by. 117 worked carefully and diligently, Words just reading over various ancient texts and the war borgs and Mosulisk being attentive to their duties. Finally, the door chimed and Words packed on an icon to open the door. A full seven Langtalan were in the doorway. They moved into the room in a single file, letting Words know the, the ranking order by who entered when. Of course, it was the lowest to highest, ensuring that there was any kind of trap the lesser rank ones would trigger it while the highest ranking ones managed to escape. Waving his blade arm and tapping a few icons, Words shifted the room back to its actual appearance. 117 used that time to make deep core programming changes, humming softly to himself in the ancient Terran war cant that asked who made who and who made you. Langtalan settled down into the sitting positions, all of them watching him. The highest ranking watched words by turning his head so that all three of his eyes on the left side of his head stared at words. The simple insult did not bother words, and he brushed it off. He exchanged minor pleasantries with the Langtalan, watching time go by, amused at the Langtalan's desire to stretch everything out and avoid an actual issue. It was brave behavior hoping that time itself would eliminate the problem. Herd animals use time to outbreed their predators, safety in numbers, by allowing the weak to be eaten instead of the strong. Words and dreams suspected that little quirk was the reason they exploited the weaker races so extensively. As the weak were of no moment, their sacrifice for the better of the herd. An easy thing to do when you were the one never of the weak due to the system that you had set up. Finally, it was down to actually speaking, and words stopped sharpening his blade arms. You understand the context of my name, correct, Great Highmost Newman too? Words spoken with fear asked carefully. All seven of them made motions of assent. Great Highmost Newman too motioned to get on with it, and words felt a surge of pleasure. Someone in your government is attempting to solve your problem of Terran disruption through assassination. Words threw out bluntly. I am not a diplomat like dreams, so I am free to tell you just how bad that would be. We cannot be held liable for what an insane or desperate member of our species or civilization attempts or succeeds in doing. Newman too harumphed, spraying spittle on the floor. Words wished he had lips so that he could sneer at them. He hated filth. The other six reaffirmed what their leader was saying, only in other words and slightly different emphasis, all boiling down to, uh, it's not my fault. Having two icons brought up a holographic representation of an ID card that had been in possession of the two assassins who had attempted to kill Dreams and the one who had attempted to kill 117. Another few taps showed exactly which office had put in for the ID cards, who had approved them and who had picked them up and exactly who had delivered them to the assassins. In three cases, silent windows showing video footage of beings speaking to the assassins to give them weapons and or directions came up. The Lankalan all proclaimed their innocence. Even the two that were featured handing the assassins weapons and moving with them all the way to the elevator to move to Dreams' floor. Perhaps you mistake the Terran diplomatic corps' willingness to send my people to negotiate and engage in diplomacy as a weakness. 
Whitworth said he trailed his left blade arm through the holographic while signaling for patience with the other blade arm. Do you understand exactly what the Terrans would do to you if we were assassinated by, uh, what were they? The fifth highmost of the United Security Agency, the eighth highmost of the Corporate Security Council, and the sixteenth highmost of the Unified Military Council, words asked. All of them went still, as Prey did when confronted by a reality that they'd hoped would not appear. They would, of course, send another diplomatic mission and continue working towards a mutually beneficial arrangement according to the needs, position, rank, and ability. One of the assistants said, making a gesture of dismissal, to do anything else would be wasteful and counterproductive to mutual good. There is a reason. I am named what I am. Words spoken that we fear, thought to himself. He flashed a ruin of a hilarious rejection. No. Then our diplomatic discussions would, of course, cease until the Terrans saw reason and returned to the diplomatic table. Another assistant groaned out like someone stepping on a bagpipe. I doubt that diplomatic table would be the one that you would enjoy sitting at, words said slowly. Have you ever heard the phrase, an attack upon one of us is attack upon all of us, by any chance? They all made a gesture of assent. The great highmost made a lowing noise of laughter. Of course, that is the motto of the Unified Military Council. That is why we have remained the peacekeepers of the galactic arm. Sighing, words shook his head. That is one of the core tenets of the Terran Confederacy. He slowly scraped his blade arms together, and 117 ensured that sparks showed from the point of contact before returning to his work with the hollow emitters. They mean it. The Langtalan all put up their torsos together and whispered to one another as if words couldn't understand a word they said. Finally, they turned back to words and harumphed before addressing him. Four of them jammed cut into the jowls. That is why peace between races is preferable than wasteful state of war, the Grand Highmost stated, his tendrils quivering with authority. I don't think you understand quite just how far the Terrans will take this and what will cause it. I realize, of course, that my fellow mantids and I are physical embodiment of the Terran Confederacy to your government, and that our treatment of us is considered by the Terran Confederacy to be your intent and announcement of your treatment of the entire Confederacy, its allies, and its people. Do you not? Words asked. They all signal the scent, and words sighed again. So, if one of you... Words pointed at the Grand Highmost, and the Grand Highmost in turn managed to carry out your ill-advised attempts at assassinating us. The Terran Confederacy will not send another diplomatic mission. If the Terrans prefer to withdraw from our space rather than negotiate, that is their choice, the Grand Highmost stated. Words made his race's equivalent of a smile. What makes you think that they'll withdraw? They will have no choice if they no longer wish to continue diplomatic talks, which are rapidly approaching a deadlock until the Terrans submit themselves for genetic, social, and cultural assessment so that we can determine which council authority they fall under, Numantu said, folding all four of his arms so that he could clasp his own biceps. Their worlds need assessment, as does their industry and resource extraction. Additionally, the Terran Confederacy must agree to cease their use of dangerous or unknown technology and submit it to the directions of the Unified Science Council. That made words laugh. 
What makes you think that the Terran Confederacy will submit to the authority of anything your government demands? This is how it has always been and how it will always be. The Superior Most High blurted out, to quote an unknown Terran philosopher. You and what army? Words asked, unknowingly repeating Dreams' words only a few days prior. The Langtaland leaned their torsos forward and turned their heads to stare at Words with the two forward eyes on either side of their heads. The Unified Military Council, the Unified Security Council, the Unified Peacekeeping Council will all ensure that the Terran Confederacy complies. Words 117, the Mosulisk, and the two Warbogs all erupted in laughter. The Langtalans moved their distress and clustered together as the harsh barking amusement from the predators all around them. Dreams made a motion when everyone was silent. Are you familiar with the 1% line? Words asked. They all clustered together a moment and then clapped in place and turned to look back at Words. It's a mathematical equation. Words shook his head and flashed the hollow runes for negation. It refers to a Terran concept. One so very human that everyone else flinches back. Do you know how long it would take the average sapient race, if reduced to 1%, to achieve the numbers they had prior to whatever event reduced their population to that 1% mark? They all clustered together again, their implants working until they finally moved back and looked at words. The average time for the sapient race would be 400 Earth years, assuming a population doubling every 25 years. An approximation that assumes a near-perfect birth rate, but does not matter, Words said. What does that have to do with the Terrans? Newman too asked, splitting the wadded plastic strings of a depleted cut into Words' floor and then jamming another wadded synth cut into his jowls. The punishment for attacking the Confederacy or its members is simple. Words felt his soul quiver as he got to perform his name. Unless the diplomats can arrange a ceasefire before the punishment takes place, you are taken to the 1% line. The attacking civilization is wiped out, down to the single world with an axial tilt of less than 5 degrees, severe weather patterns, a hostile and active ecosystem, and a geologically active core. A strong magnetic field and a fraction proto-continent with at least one large moon with only 1% of the population of the home world, which is rendered barren of their species and restricted to pre-industrial technology and knowledge for a minimum of 100 years. The Langtalan stared at words in horror as each point was listed off. Once they reach spaceflight, they find the Terrans waiting, warning them exactly how they came to be, and then asking if they would like to join the Confederacy, remain neutral, and words paused. Or be destroyed. All seven of the Lankalan just stared in horror, their jaws open, three of them dropping their cuds, their tendrils quivering, their crests flush with blood, their legs trembling. Should that race attack a member of the Terran Confederacy within ten generations of achieving spaceflight and having been warned, they are completely wiped out. There may be a few isolated species members about, but they are usually quickly die out. Words said, That's preposterously propagandizing nonsense, Newman too cried out. No species would waste that much resources simply for punitive measures such as that. You expect us to believe that the Terrans would waste resources to actually carry out all of such an obvious bluff. 
Woods noted that Numantu and his aide were now more concerned with the resources than with the mass extinction of life. Woods slowly scraped his blade arms together, staring at the length of land. They have done it before. They are willing to do it again. Woods whispered softly. Preposterous, Numantu repeated. Name one race they performed such a wasteful accident upon. Words let the moment draw out, savoring it, before he answered simply, Mine. Manted free worlds. Well, now they know. Nothing follows. Know what? Oh, oops. Nothing follows. Trianad high worlds. What happens if you really piss off the Terrans? Nothing follows. Rigel Syrian compact. Yeah, not a good idea. Grabs can get really grouchy. Nothing follows. Talcan Gestalt. That seems, um, heeny sharp. Do they have to do that? Nothing follows. Yes, I nailed it. Trianidad High Worlds. It keeps us from having to fight the same race over and over and over. Honestly, it seems to work, really. I am a little stout teapot with a handle and a spout. Damn it! That's not funny. Nothing follows. Digital Artificial Sentient Systems. <laughs> Freaking owned. Nothing follows. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.